if creative is going to be the variable for growth, it also means that the branding needs to be flexible enough to allow the consumer to have feedback and to adapt it to the change in market. So for anybody who's been listening to Bite Size for some time, creative being the variable is a statement largely agreed upon by myself and most of my guests, whether that's a brand founder or a marketer. And let's break down what effective marketing is. It's images, videos, copy, structured in a way to drive an action. To develop a creative that drives action, you have to understand creative performance and use that as a feedback loop into your creative strategy, your media buying, your creative optimization teams. At Fly Performance, we use Motion. So Motion is a creative reporting platform that visualizes creative performance and uses really easy to understand metrics that are mapped to the consumer funnel. So from thumb stop ratio to ROAS, making it so easy to understand not just performance, but where you need to optimize. Not only that, it's a huge time saver. We estimated that since using Motion across the agency, we've saved our teams two days a week from manual data pools, allowing them to test and analyze creative far more efficiently and get winning creatives and really help drive performance. Creative is the variable. Chris, welcome. I'm excited. Today, we're going to dive into a recap of 2023, predictions, and maybe some hot takes to 2024 kicking off the year strong. But first and foremost, um, I obviously know you super well, working with you day in and day out at Fly Performance. But for anybody who doesn't know Chris Johnson, um, why don't you give a quick kind of three or five minute recap of your career career history, what you've been doing um, and what you're currently doing at Fly Performance. Yeah, great. I'll do it in the inverse. And I'm glad to be here. I'm surprised you still want to hear me talk after we talk every day at length. So uh, here we are again. Um, so my current role is the Chief Strategy Officer at Flight Performance. Um, so I oversee all of our products and main teams around performance, so strategy, creative, all the way down to even our ad buying. Um, so uh, it's a really cool job of helping to see the next steps of performance in our clients. Um, but I began my work actually in the nonprofit space, um, moved into agencies around 2015, so I'm dating myself. So I've been at an agency kind of e-com and, and consumer brands for almost uh, now a decade. And so it's been it's been fun. In that span, I've worked with over 300 brands now. So I, I feel like I'm the dinosaur in the room. I work with all these Gen Zers that this is maybe their first step in career or their second job. And um, I feel like I'm the I'm the ancient one here, but it's it's been great. And so part of my journey has been really moving into not just small consumer startup brands, but even working with larger retailers. Um, so I get a great glimpse of mature retail brands scaling, smaller brands just getting launched from like ground zero. And I think the bulk of my time is spent with those scale brands, those brands that are maybe north of 5 million that are kind of jumping up by multiples of five. And so I get a lot of great kind of in the front seat, seeing brands scale and grow. Uh, and also made their leaps globally. So starting to expand. So lots to talk about, but um, I'm just a nerd that looks at spreadsheets and, and talks to clients all day. Yeah, that's a that's a simplified version of what you do, for sure. Let's kick it off. Let's kick it off with a big punchy one. So what were your overall biggest takeaways in the world of e-commerce and growth marketing for 2023? Yeah, well, the first thing is that growth is hard. It hasn't gotten easier. Um, so every inch of growth is earned, that there's no silver bullets, there's no simple arbitrage anymore, that it's all earned. And so that's the first thing, that brands that grew this last year should be celebrated. There's lots of things we can look at trends-wise, and we'll talk about that, but I think we all agree that it was still a difficult year for brands, not a 2020 where the world just decides to buy everything online, um, but now having to really compete in a space that's post-pandemic, so it's tough. So that's one. I think secondly, one of the biggest lessons I saw and learned is how forecasting is so critical for us to be aligned on what we're going to focus on. There's so many things buying for brands' attention, so many uh, shiny objects, but having it clear, this is what we're trying to achieve, but we're willing to sacrifice and be completely synced across all teams, agencies, internal teams, and partners and vendors all of that aligned, I mean, it was magic. And so for brands that did that, they grew, they scaled. Ones that didn't contribute to that or focus on that really had a hard time seeing the success they wanted. They had a plan that was rough, maybe vague, didn't achieve it. And the last piece is how important it is to really, really focus on people and how 
working with internal teams and and talking about what they care about personally this year more than ever. I think people had options, but also were a bit nervous about where they should spend their time. And so really, I think this is the year for, as an agency, for us to really build relationships. I think the 2023, we built some deep, deep relationships with our clients that helped, helped us weather some storms from inventory buys to issues on platform um, that we couldn't predict before. It helped us get to the line that we had today where we were successful. So those are some of the big kind of uh, takeaways so far. I'm aligned. I'm aligned. On that strategic piece, that's an interesting one. And I even look at the evolution of, of this agency, you know, it, it somewhat shifts with the demands of, of the market, right? And I think a while ago, the demand was execution. It's just run my ads, run my retention marketing. Maybe that was a little bit of a, a nod to the fact that we, you know, the, the dynamic of the world in which we operate has become more complicated. Right when you look at some of the challenges the ecosystem has gone through, whereas I look to today, and it's to your point, strategy becomes so important. Right for so many reasons, it's it's that forecast, it's that looking back at what has been to inform what we need to do to get to the next stage, and really using that as a roadmap to how execution is done, how it's held accountable to execution. What's your take on why that shift is happening, and have you seen the same shift of like moving from like usually good executors to actually we need partners who can really help us navigate the challenges, but also how that downstreams into execution. Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think the simple answer that we all would align for why we're so hard is that capital is expensive. So interest rates have an impact on everyone from consumers and cooling off inflation to brands being able to get access to capital um, to spend. So we were seeing brands being much more choosy about how much they spend, where they spent it. Gone are the days of just scale, figure it out, break it, we'll, we'll fix it later to now every dollar is measured, every cent is considered. And so I think that's really the simple answer is brands really need to think about, okay, if I only have $1 to spend here. Where am I spending it? And what am I expecting of that dollar? The expectations of that spend also went up as well. So it's more expensive, but also we saw brands really needing to see growth this year. They need to see consumers coming back to the brand or maybe some were around 2021 and maybe early 2022, there were some losses off in 2020. 2023 was a growth year for brands. They needed to scale. And that may be for unlocking capital, right? If they're venture backed and uh, proving they had growth opportunity and potential or cash flowing new inventory, new products to compete. They couldn't afford just to say goodbye to a sitting product. They had to sell through it so they can invest on new products. We, ser- we heard that story a ton. Uh, a lot of brands saying, hey, I have something incredible I'm so excited about to launch, but I need to get through what I already have from the last buy and I need it to be through new customers because my existing customers already been tapped. So I think that's kind of some of the features of strategy saying, okay, where are we going to focus then to do that? Um, because we can't spend everywhere and just say, well, hopefully it works out. We needed to know kind of month one where we're going to land and how that's going to look to then determine what the year could look like. Yeah, agreed. We'll, we'll come on to more of that in the, in the 2024 predictions, um, but kind of Going back to 2023, you mentioned aging yourself. I come from the world of being early at MySpace and stuff like that, but I've seen so many shifts in platforms, how platforms set themselves up, like what works, what doesn't, evolutions of how they think about things, even how they monetize themselves. What have been the shifts you've seen across the the, the kind of core platforms that we operate across the meta, the TikTok, Google? What, what have been the shifts and, and changes and what does that mean for brands and marketers? To sound like a broken record in this year, it's the year of AI. So every single platform has doubled down there. I feel like every product from your email, you know, client to ad platforms to even like your note docs have AI built into it. So targeting, focusing on those settings, that's all AI focused. And so we saw obviously meta leaning into that, some of the changes around Advantage Plus and kind of really pushing that as a agency, we lean into it as well. So we went from having maybe 30, 40% of our clients on Advantage Plus. Um, to then 100%, which is, if you think about it, it's remarkable that we put our entire portfolio on automated focuses this last year. And so that's huge. That was unprecedented. I've never been to an agency setting where every single client had the same exact uh, kind of buying strategy at its main engine, whether that's acquisition or kind of growth or creative testing. So that's huge. Um, so automation, AI, that's huge. And the second thing, obviously, TikTok and the shops is an interesting uh, kind of progression and brands thinking about how do I show up here? Um, what does it look like? We'll talk about 2024, what I think uh, maybe brands should be considering. But I think that introduction and them pushing really heavy in that adoption um, 
was a shift where it kind of signals some of the maturity of TikTok um, and trying to become more mature of a platform. Can we trust it this next year? We'll see. But I think overall, that's another shift. And the last, as you've heard, and maybe many people have heard, the creative is targeting. The idea that creative is the way you find your customers. And to the point that the customer's ad that they see impacts things like welcome flows, impacts email and LTV, that that actually could dictate the entire relationship of your customer. I don't think we were thinking about that in 2020. I think we were thinking, yeah, creative makes sense, testing broadly. But we weren't thinking that the type of customer we acquire and that segment would be determined by the first thing they see within the ads. That makes it way more important. I think some of us were kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's creative. We need to do it. Let's kind of toss it into our mix. I think our ad spend percentage we saw across other clients began to increase in creative testing because we knew it was no longer just, hey, find an ad and make it a super ad that will win. It was actually now funnel creation for our customers and dictating the future of the brand. Big deal. So I think that's a huge, a huge shift in platforms today. We did this call this time last year, uh, looking ahead to 2023. And so I actually, I actually checked back um, and listened to it again. Pr- pretty spot on, I will say. But what, what was one thing you thought would happen in 2023 that maybe didn't? I don't know if I said this in the podcast, but I, I really thought we would see more diversification at scale. I thought clients and customers would really want to diversify more heavily. Uh, especially since we saw potential re- recession coming, uh, potentially more costs. I thought it was going to be way worse in terms of consumer sentiment. So I thought we would have to eke out every single penny. Truth of the matter is the main two kind of giants in to- Tokyo, Godzilla and Mothra, uh, Facebook uh, and or Meta and then Google took the lion's share again. You know, it makes sense. I think there's more risk, right? There's opportunity costs. Uh, I get why, but I, I think coming into 2023 thought, we, this would be the year of diversification. This would be the year we sell brands doing so much more and out of home and other things that are risky. But the fact is, it looked like kind of a lot of the same as the year before in terms of the media mix. Yes, some brands did uh, OTT or TV campaigns um, this last year. I saw a lot more of that with consumer brands, DTC brands. But in general, when we interviewed our brands, talked to ones, even spent with them, they're kind of focus, which were those main channels. Was it a detriment? Potentially. I think there's actually opportunity, right? I think looking back, the consumer was a little bit more resilient than we thought it, they would be. Um, no one knew it. Hindsight's twenty twenty, But that actually, I think, would have given us opportunity to know that, hey, there's still going to be demand from customers. We can afford to test a bit more broadly in channels than being super conservative and safe to try to achieve as much as quickly as possible. And I can think of a few brands specifically that could have done that better on. It's interesting, isn't it? How headlines and macro kind of sentiment funnels down. And I think we saw that in the early stage of the year, right? The, the whole talk was interest rates, recession, and you know, even without it happening, people anticipate and start to make decisions off the back of it. I understand, but to your point, I think everybody probably pleasantly surprised that the, the the full extent of what that could have been uh, probably didn't exactly come to fruition. Absolutely. I think if we learned any lessons from COVID is that when we try to predict the future, it's not usually great. <laughs> um, so, you know, when we when we try to predict like, hey, the future is going to be even more demand and points for one, people bought a ton of inventory and then were really pinched with cash flow. That was trying to time the market based on last year. And I think the kind of truth or the fable of it is you really shouldn't try to do that. You should really focus your efforts on trying to build a business that's resilient in many situations instead of trying to predict the want and then build the business for that situation. It's a very risky bet that you're going to just get all the variables right. We never knew that travel, well, we kind of assumed travel would get big, but we didn't know that consumer dollars would be split more heavily on travel. And so we'd see them really, I mean, October, if we look back at October, like really tough for brands, almost like the, the doors were shut on a lot of consumer spending. But why? Travel was back. They were spending their consumer dollars are still being spent. They're being reallocated in different places. Um, hotels, if you look at those growth, was way up in terms of what we're seeing in terms of hotel bookings and spend there. And Airbnb was in trouble. We saw that too. But overall, predicting the future, that's not what I think brands should be focused on. It's really about what are the resilient components. And we saw it in 2023. And look, we do predictions anyway, just for fun. But I'm the last person to be like, yeah, and now we're going to build everything on that prediction. I think we say, what do we know that is meaningful, lasting over the last several years? And how do we build for that? That's the way to go forward. Agrees. Agrees. Okay. Let's leave 2023 behind. Yes, for sure. I'm, let's, I'm yeah. over. Right. Let's look forward. What's your one big hot take 
for 2024? Yeah. Um, one hot take. I mean, I have, you know, you know I have what? spicy takes. You can, you can have, you can have, what's your big one? And then what's your, what's your supportive couple? What's my big one? Um, so I have my really big one is that in 2024 hot take is that it's going to still be strong consumer spending and that this recession idea, I don't think it's going to come to fruition the way we think it is. I think consumers are really wanting to buy. Here's my here's my reason why. I think in an election year, which we'll talk about, that there is so much stress, there's so much anticipation about the future. And what we've noticed what happens is people like to buy things in preparation for events in the future and in reaction to them. And so I think we're going to see people not be lowest me and hold their dollars. I think we're going to see, see spending. Even to people, I think some of their detriment where they're going to overspend. I know consumers are really hurting with inflation. I think we're still going to see the same level of spending and increases. Um, so the whole recession talk, I'm pretty I'm pretty bullish on the market and how it's going to go. I think we're going to see a kind of similar year in terms of growth there. Now, what I also think is that brands are going to, um, as the interest rates go down, which we saw the Fed kind of promise that we saw the stock market celebrate. I think brands are going to try anything possible to grow and spend and scale to get repositioned for the right kind of market. And so I think we're going to see a lot more competition too. So I think we're going to see people spending like never before and increasing because it's the door is open and we know that recession will still come. It's just delayed. And so I think people are going to really push hard and spend wildly, especially politicians this year. I mean, that's the last take I'll give you is that this is an election year. And already what we're seeing is that election spending is at its record high already. And so what I think is going to happen is that we're going to see so many dollars flood the market. So my hot take is that CPM is going to go up. Um, and so platforms like Meta will be outside, will be affected in ways that other platforms that are CPC based will not be as affected. So I think we'll see Google spend increase significantly more over this next year too. For anyone listening, what does that mean? in terms of how you should be thinking about things coming into an election. Yeah. So there's a couple of factors to know. One is that uh, it only affects up to about, I think it's the the week before the election. So I think Meta caps it. So they can't spend right before the, the actual election. So in the United States, we have our, uh, every four years, the president's elected. It's a pretty big deal. Um, the last one we have was during 2020. And so that was a uh, pretty kind of hard year to look at and see cleanly how the data was going to be. It's kind of hidden based on already people engaging online more because, again, we had a massive pandemic and everyone was online. But this year, what we're seeing is that it's a pretty big moment for for our country in terms of deciding who's going to be the next leader globally. There's a lot of conflict in the world. There's a lot of issues that people are wanting to vote towards. So I think politicians know that and they're going to spend a ton right, to get in front of consumers indiscriminate of targeting. They're going to spend broadly. Why does it affect us? We also spend broadly. A lot of our brands are spending on broad AI-focused um, kind of situations. So I think what's going to happen is that tide's going to rise all boats in terms of cost. And it's going to mean that either you need to be much more effective in getting attention on the ads to compensate for more expensive eyeballs or getting more people, or you're going to need to think about where else can I find cheaper traffic sources. And to be frank, that is still the cheapest game around. Um, so it means bullet point, main bottom line, creative is your best chance to get around some of these high costs. So drive that CPM down, you're going to have to get really creative on your testing. And incrementality of that testing is not going to do it. Um, You're going to really need to think about how do I push my own limits as a brand to understand what's going to get in front of consumers. Uh, And I can kind of go into detail about what I think are maybe two ways to do that. But that's the general thought. The main capsule of this 2024 is during our main testing season, now and basically September, I think testing really broadly and deeply thinking of ideas will be key. Pivoting off that, you mentioned testing, creative testing. Um, you mentioned it earlier. We've been shouting about this a lot with clients and and you know it's a big focus for us in terms of how we think about driving results and, and driving scale. We all know, we all should know creative is the variable, creative is, creative is your testing. And yet brands still struggle, right? In trying to find that that winning creative. I think that's because of a couple of things. It's it's not just strategy. It's the ability to produce the creative. It's the ability to analyze the creative. It's making decisions off the analysis that inform the strategy that get a, that gets better creative. It's the distribution that allows you to run that effectively. Creative strategy, creative testing. What are your thoughts? How should brands be thinking about it? How can brands set themselves up for success in 2024 to really make the most out of 
like you said, the, the key variable, which is creative testing. So what I would say um, is the variable of creative, how to get around it is actually probably my real hot take is that in order to get creative, you have to get outside of your norm, right? If you just think about what's in front of you, I talk, talk to buyers all the time. If you think of the anchor of my best ad and how do I make that ad better, that is basically the foundation you're going to build from. So if it's mediocre, everything else after is pretty mediocre. If you want to make something groundbreaking, you have to kind of ignore your best performing ads today and think about what have I not tried. And it's so hard to do when you have time constraints and you're so close to a brand. So my real hot take, if I was to be honest, that may be controversial, in-house teams have a hard time doing this. The point of an agency is an outside perspective. And you can actually build a great media writing team in-house and great support, but the reality is that that person sitting there thinking about your brand and only your brand all day. It's those collisions of ideas of this works for that brand and let's try it. Even though it's a different sector, even though it's a different category, that is where we find novel, great ideas. Some of the best ads we see, or even we talk about all the time brands we love, you know, thinking about kind of the, the brands that run these really strange ad, many times just the agency behind it. You know, there's only a few I can count on my, on my hand that have really great internal creative teams pushing the limits. I think one brand that comes to mind that's doing it well internally is Liquid Death, right? I think we all look at them and see them and say, wow. But remember where they came from. These are agency guys building a brand. And so in a sense, I think if you don't have that agency background and you're coming in as a, as a builder, it's going to be hard to get outside of your own bubble of ideas. And so getting away from mediocre incremental ads means having someone come in who has nothing to lose on pitching new ideas, big ideas, and has the ability to execute them well enough to have them perform. That's the other piece too. You can have the ideas all day and have great briefs. I tell people this all the time. The spreadsheet is nice, but what moves the needle on the revenue, what makes the business grow is the actual, when the rubber hits the road, creative is made. And so, and what works on platform isn't always things we always love as brand marketers or creators. So I think that's going to be a huge piece that is an element necessary to get out and start testing creative. Another tactical ways to do that, but I think that's for another conversation. The big idea is I would ask if I was a brand, my last set of ads, were they really pushing the needle in terms of what I believe about our brand value and the thing I'm doing as a company? If not, this may be the year to try something brand new, bring in someone else on the outside, uh, whether that's a consultant or a team that can push you. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. And maybe part of this is just the marketer in me. I think there's also something true to be said, and, and you could probably track this across platforms, is when something's working and everybody defaults to that type of creative, it becomes very vanilla. It, every brand starts to look the same. I'm not saying it's the wrong approach like to lean into what platforms are rewarding, but at the end of the day, you know, we saw this trend of everything being very UGC or the unboxing, all of this, and it's like, well, is that is that going to move the needle or does it actually just become a sea of of sameness that gets really hard to stand out. Doesn't mean it's not valuable, but and I know we think about this and um, a lot of the brands that I talk to think about this is it's the funnel of creative and how you're leveraging different types of creative. I, I think the most fun brands to work with, if you want to ex if you want to experience like extraordinary or different results, you're probably gonna have to do something extraordinary or different, right? They're the brands that stand out, I think platforms reward engagement. Engagement can be done through media buying and everything else through testing similar types of creative that's working, but what's the thing that no one's doing, right? Um, I think everyone starts to follow the, the, the C and path that everybody's following. And I think there's a big opportunity for brands to think differently of, well, everyone's going this way. What can we do that goes this way that might differentiate us or get us to stand out from the crowds that then becomes potentially the next trend right? And then people jump on that and then that slowly fades away. I think thinking of creative that way is important um, for brands to think through. You know, I was um, talking to one of our strategists and um, again, this is going to age me, but he was like, did you see the the Starbucks Stanley all debacle? And I was like, what are you talking about? Because again, I see it by a scroll path. Like, Whatever, that's Stanley, who cares? He's like, it's genius. They messed up. It is partnership with Starbucks release a limited edition pink Stanley to the market and people are jumping over counters to get this product. They are stampeding targets 
And what I love about it is like, that is creative, right? We, we Product is a piece of it too. We can't deny that there's only so much as marketers we can do. As a CSO at an agency, all I can do is recommend ideas to market something. The product has to exist, but the beauty that works, and I saw this with brands we doubled last year, is recognizing a trend that's there in front of you and building product for and being patient enough to show up while with that product that meets the consumer where they're at, and it just makes growth seem like it's magic. And um, I think that's huge. I think brands, you know, if I had to say 2024, another prediction is giving product launches enough air and space to be meaningful. So many times where I know it's so hard. I talk to brands and it's like getting a product to market is hard enough. Getting it off the boat to customers is hard. But there's this rush to just put it all on the site and then instantly have a sale just to get revenue. And there was it wasn't given time to get in the hands of influencers. You know what I'd love to see brands do this next year? is use influencers in ways that can test creative wildly in ways that would be so offensive to your brand team, right? Because it's not you saying it, it's your influencer. So find influencers who are like, we want you to destroy this product. Tell us why it's terrible. Tell us why you think it's a bad, and, and you know what? Bad press has an impact. Bad press is sometimes good press. And you can control, you can publish it, you can edit it, you can make this thing something that's an ad product that you would never generate yourself. You're not telling your designers, hey, Come tell us why our product is bad to make an ad that describes that. Maybe not the right move for a brand. But don't do the Twitter thing where it's like copy an ad that says why this ad why this product is expensive and it's supposed to be what everyone else has done. Or don't just Barbie fire and say, hey, everyone else is doing pink, let's do pink. Really think about how do I get people, humans, to go and do things differently than what I would never do. Uh, and I think that's a, a way influencers I would love to see kind of counter. UGC is not dead. It's just it's being used in a very safe and predictable way. Use UGC to really spice it up at top of funnel because very few people are going to see it. If you think about it, it's going to be tested. If it doesn't win, it's not going to see a lot of day. But if it does win, you get an incredible scale. Think TikTok. See a few hundred people, few people see it, maybe they don't engage. If they engage, they like it. You could reach millions. And then what do you care? Like it was an influencer post that drove millions of people to your site to buy. Are we really going to be upset? about that i don't think so i don't know if it's a hot take but my, one of my takes for 2024 is that organic social becomes cool again <laughs> uh did it lose its cool i didn't think it just got expensive <laughs> well you know here's 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 my thought and i and i think this 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 probably varies based on the brand you're at the size you're at right but you know even in my own experience organic social why bother if I can pay a dollar, make five. Why? Why do I care what my organic social presence looks like? I think it got deprecated in the order of priority by so many. When you think about everything you're saying, everything we do as marketers for brands, it's attention, right? What we, What are we trying to do first and foremost? We're trying to get attention of people that might ultimately buy our products, and we pull levers within paid channels to reach the right people with the right creative through targeting. I keep coming back to that's so powerful, right? And that can really power a brand forward. Um, and this gets into the whole brand performance gap, which, you know, was a founding reason for starting an agency that looks at both is that influences, brand influences performance. Yes, it's hard to track. Yes, it's hard to measure. Yes, it needs to be doing something. Organic social is free distribution. Your, co your cost is the ideation and creation of content. And when you marry that to everything you were saying of testing different things, it can inform the type of creative you put into paid. I mean, we do this. Test creative organically, what's working, elevate it, boost it into paid. You can do that without having to pay for distribution. It's just the creative ideation that gives you, as much as you do creative testing within within paid media ad accounts, you can test such a variety of creative organically. You don't even have to spend dollars to try and find out if it's working. You just you spend the dollars on the creation, but it, it it's organically going to reach its either it's going to get engagement or it's not, right? And so I, th I, th I do think maybe it's not a hot take, but maybe it's something that I think brands should be doing more of in 2024 is prioritizing organic social. You know, I, I think maybe the hot take version of it is like, you know, put your money where your opportunity is. And so I think organic social managers are kind of unsung heroes too, in terms of frontline, typically they sit between CX and marketing. 
So they're getting the feedback, they're getting the responses. Customers have been trained to know that you get a response to DM faster than email. And so I think there's an opportunity there, but they're never given the power or the ability. I think we talked, I think we heard, you know, probably a decade ago, it's like giving designers a seat at the table. And it's like actually social engagement and community engagers need to have a seat at the table to make decisions. And we saw a little bit, right, in terms of like, uh, I remember Oreo and the, and the Super Bowl having a moment, having the ability to pivot really quickly, to respond to moments uh, with the blackout of the Super Bowl. Like that shows empowerment. And I think that's where we're going to see brands think about, look, the people closest to your customer are your competitive advantage. And so it's your, it's your marketing team, right? Talking, getting feedback from customers that are even yet to be customers. It's your CX team, right? Working with your existing customers and LGB kind of playing into that. But, you know, I, I, I say that the other unsexy, but super powerful, I think under leveraged opportunity is leveraging the data you already have of your existing customers to maximize new opportunities. And this is where it's not going to make you get awards on, on any awards channel, but it will make the difference in your business is that if you sit down and spend once a week, just looking at your customer profile and calling one of them or talking with a few of them, it just unlocks insights and understanding. You know, I, I, I think that I challenged my strategist this week to say, go ask your customer, your clients. I, mean, I want to know and ask them if they've talked to a customer in the last 50 days, 60 days. And if any of them have, I'll pay you 50 bucks. Right. And the idea is that I'm like, I wanted them to learn from us that we talk to, we talk to our customers, our customers are clients, but e-commerce brands, if they're going to survive, selling, scaling to be successful, have to bring that customer information forward. And it's getting harder and harder to get that from the platform. So um, yeah, I think I think community managers, this, um, social media managers are really underutilized, underpaid. They should be probably paid more and been in positioned to help make decisions for the brand because they're getting first time data, real time, before they need to go. It leads on to that whole it's not on brand subject. My, well, if I my, hear that again. <laughs> my, my, my 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 take on that is you can have a desired state of how you want your brand to be perceived. It's gonna be perceived however it's perceived. And to to dictate that and put limiting factors on what that is. I think is is a bad move. Yeah, I think we have to distinguish between being consistent. Get that, totally. Don't change your logo colors just because you feel like it. But that being consistent and then being in communication of your customer. What is the brand other than what they say about you? And I think we've learned from the events around George Floyd, around COVID, around the events happening globally in war in Ukraine, like that the consumer has a lot of say over your brand. And the idea that you control it as like some ivory tower that you get to dictate everything is it's actually misguided and honestly naive. The you're actually stewarding a brand that the consumer now somewhat controls. And you get to say where it plays, but they dictate if it's our brand or not. And so the best brand managers we're seeing, especially in the DDC space and scaling, are recognize that that if creative is going to be the variable for growth, it also means that the branding needs to be flexible enough to allow the consumer to have feedback and to adapt it to the change of market, especially in different geos. You can't hold one brand standard across every geo. That's impossible. It's not even relevant. We know all about that with the UK-US dynamics within this. Within, <laughs> yeah, within even with our company. team. Yeah. You know, I was talking to, I was looking at actually a post from one of our other, the strategy director at the, the UK side and Pollyanna was put posting about bad ads, these ads that were on bus stops and people were like hand drawn or done in paint. And it's genius because it stands out. And I just said like, that works in the UK. I think it works really well. I think in the US it would fall flat because I think people would maybe see it, but just be like, meh. But I think in the UK, it just kind of breaks through that barrier a little bit more of being proper and put together that just resonates. So yeah, it's, it's fun even in our in a context that we have to adapt even our flight story brand, flight performance brand to our markets, to what we need to talk to you. Again, looking ahead of 2024, what what other emerging trends are you seeing, whether that's from a marketing perspective, brands, or even kind of the, the tech platforms, that the engine that supports the ecosystem? And how should brands plan to either adapt or capitalize on those trends? Absolutely. I think uh, one thing is consumer buying data is helpful to determine which products to create. There's some great tools coming out that are using aggregated data about what colors are trending that people can start to invest in. And then the idea that we have to like kind of guess on 
what the product should be, I think those days are getting numbered. Um, there's still a sense of creating something that's bespoke that consumers haven't seen before. Absolutely. I'm not saying just use data and kind of by democracy figure out products. But I do think that when you look at the future of demand planning and, and really thinking about what should I buy, there's a lot available for you that can help you determine what colorways, what styles, and depending on your industry, obviously this has to be a grain of salt. Technology brands have a harder time with this, but apparel brands, there's a lot going for, for people. And I think as I ask brands how they think about it, it kind of seems more like a, this is what we like. And then they get disappointed that it doesn't move. Uh, so I think there's some opportunities there for this next year for brands to be more thoughtful and they have to be, especially the rates are not 2% anymore. They are still pretty high. So you have to be thoughtful on how you buy and purchase in the future. That's one. The second thing I think are some trends to look forward to is travel is back and it is not going away. People want to move and go places. So your dollar is not with the other brand that you're competing with. Your dollar is competing with the airline ticket that they're going to buy. And so thinking creatively about seasonality and timing of when you start pushing products about when people are buying tickets, you can learn flights right now and see flight prices over time when the best time is to buy a ticket and kind of get a sense of when am I going to be competing with a consumer buying a plane ticket to travel on average or buying a product as a product for themselves or a moment. The last thing is that sales are going to be a cocaine for every brand and the consumers are going to respond to them. The problem is that it's not a long-term strategy. So I get it. And we tell brands too, there is a time for a sale. There's a time to do a moment to move product. It's about playing for tomorrow sometimes. And you got to sacrifice some values today, sometimes around sales, to have the opportunity to establish those values in the future. But what good is it if you go out of business? So uh, I don't think sales are going to get lower. I think consumers are going to wait more for them, which means you have to have a spine and a backbone around moments and pushing products with great marketing. So, hey, we have a new product coming. You have to tease it. You have to show them it. You have to talk about it, get it in the hands of influencers so that they can test drive it because consumers are either going to wait for the sale with less risk on price, or they're going to wait to see other people use it and then get that feedback. But they're not going to waste their dollars in the whole process of e-commerce, especially since right now brands are also making returns harder. Um, charging more for them and making more friction. Consumers know that and they're responding by not buying as quickly. Um, so we're already in January. We're seeing some brands who have great setups are crushing it. One of our brands is already ahead of um, schedule in terms of their the revenue. Other brands, softer January sales because the returns are smashing them and people aren't rebuying yet. And so that's going to be a challenge for them to think about timing of, of how, do I, how do I do that? You mentioned the kind of um, promotions and key moments and Obviously, Black Friday, Cyber Monday feels like a long time ago now, but was not that long ago. It's a key moment for any e-commerce brand. And I think for us, it was hugely successful, but we know that the success is built through the year. How are we or you advising brands and how should brands be thinking about, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, what changes did we see last year? What do we think that means for next year? And how should brands be thinking about the strategic utilization of kind of promotional periods? I was on a call with another, I can't remember who it was. It was someone else on the podcast who was saying they're, I think they were like three brands. The birthdays of those brands was bigger than Black Friday, Cyber Monday. They had less of a discount during Black Friday, Cyber Monday and actually used their birthday moments, which weren't in Q4, which weren't at the end of the year when it accumulated kind of more dead inventory. Those were bigger moments and more profitable for them than Black Friday, Cyber Monday had traditionally been. What, what's your kind of take on how brands should be thinking about that? What did we learn about Black Friday, Cyber Monday? And uh, what other advice could you give brands when it comes to properly using promotions um, through the year? So, I mean, just to look back at 2023, I know we're in 2024, but you know, this last year to humble brag a slightly for our agency, you know, we saw on average our brands grow 80% this last year, 80% year over year. So obviously that's going to be an average. Some brands were flat, some brands grew significantly more, but overall the trend is growth and do so with more profit. We saw them still tighten up the budget on net. So that's huge. Black Friday was our largest, or November will be fair. November was our largest in agency history. For many of our brands was their largest Black Friday. But here's the thing, it was in aggregate. We didn't see a single brand have, maybe one, have a record spike. It was actually a much larger, longer time period. So in its entirety as a month, big spike. But if you look at individual days, those days were actually not as percentage-wise change, large. So it wasn't like flat and then giant Black Friday spike. That's 
reasons. Sales were earlier, uh, sales were run longer, and we were really aggressive on customer acquisition in summer and fall. So September, October, really pushing as much as you can. And October, really believing in the Black Friday lift, right? And so that's something that was critical in this last year that made it successful. Looking forward in the year, the idea of celebrating the Shopify percentage on a single day, I think we got to just get away from that. Like just ignore the singular day change. That's not important. The month is, November as a whole is. Uh, December, I think was also a surprise for many brands. They weren't ready with something to offer after the sale period to help December be incredible. And so we saw softer sales in December this year, and we all knew it was coming. We saw massive November. What do we think? Sales shadow. It just meant it's going to come earlier or be longer than we saw it earlier. And so I think brands being aware of that this next year is three steps. One, have a moment, like you said. I think a birthday sale earlier in the year, if you have it, is incredible. Brands I advise and work with, their birthday sale is either a second or the largest day um, of their year. Um, so that talks about lack of competition. If you can do it on a day that's not a holiday, everyone else is on sale, you stand out, which is most important. The second piece is you're going to have to have an earlier holiday. It's going to be earlier this next year. Surprise, surprise. You're going to probably start in October. By this rate, we're going to be in July. But for next year, you're going to have a longer period of time, meaning you got to think about product releases strategically in your holiday moments, right? And last is don't ignore Q5. If your plan is clearance, that's not a great strategy, right? That's a backup plan. That's not a primary. December is a great time to launch to your newly acquired customers in November something new to entice them for a secondary purchase. That double dip makes Q5 powerful because if you can do that, you're buying customers on full sale or very close to full sale product so that they're not just going to be discount customers in January, February, and March. So that combination, those three steps, I think will set you up for success. That all begins now, right? You have to now plan your product releases for November, December, basically by April, May, depending on how you manufacture to do that. Um, you can't wait till August or September to get that strategy in place. Q5s. We've been criticized as marketers for making up a quarter that doesn't exist. Yeah, but you know, we wouldn't be marketers unless we named everything something different. So, um, you know, I can make it an acronym, right? <laughs> I guess Q5 is one. Let's think um, of one. But, Let's think of one. Yeah. Let's think yeah, of one. but I think I think that's it. And the last uh, is, you know, I think in general, brands um, is just de-risk it. If you can pull things forward, be disciplined earlier, you don't have to rely on the end of the year. And I, I think I, I the thing that makes me sad is having a brand join us too late, right? Join us in October. And for me to say, if I had the full year to do the work with you, this wouldn't be so hard. But the, then the advice or the medicine I'm giving or prescribing is so intense to get to their goals that it feels almost unachievable. And I think I think that's my advice too. Is like it's it's tempting to kind of pull up the gas, roll into Q one, and then start planning Q two because it's such a hard job and you can't let up now. You got to push down. You can rest in summer. Maybe. Um, but if you really want to grow this next year, every single day is going to count this year. Agreed. Agreed. Some rapid fire questions for you, Chris. I love it. Let's go. You ready? You ready? Nah. YouTube shorts. What's the opportunity? How do brands capitalize? YouTube obviously has a huge opportunity, especially if we see CPMs rise in meta, it's going to be a place for you to play. Um, that's a little bit more insulated from the CPM rises. So that's awesome. The other way is that the length of shorts is much longer than TikTok. It just lives forever, basically. So I think it's a huge opportunity brands should do. It complicates content because you got to live in the ecosystem. So you got to shoot for shorts and you got to shoot for pre-roll. It doesn't really work if you just kind of focus on one, especially the ad product. So I think um, really planning on having the right kind of content mix is huge. It's a huge investment up front, but pays off in dividends. Yes, aligned. TikTok shop. Eight the, percent. the 8%. A, 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 a TikTok shop at 8%, is it is it bust or does that still play out? So it goes it goes up in April 6 and then later to 8 is that last time I read. Um, so is it bust? Uh, There's not enough proof in the pudding yet for me to invest there. So if I was to choose that on top of potentially having like to pay an influencer for content, it's getting pretty expensive already and unpredictable. And the answer is at that rate, I think they're going to have to walk it back. Um, it's just going to be too expensive. Now, if they can give me unlimited scale, 8% is a discount, right? Um, so just how you see it. But I think at most brands, at what they're looking at, that 8% is a tax that they could actually probably save 
by just investing on one channel versus trying to diversify to TikTok. But think of it this way too. The other hand is affiliate. Most times those fees are seven, 10%. So between the two, distribution on TikTok versus an affiliate that has a limited distribution on maybe Instagram, I would go to the TikTok shop trail because I think you have more opportunity to maybe win in the future. But my my choice is I think 8% is going to be way too high for brands. And it kind of sucks that they did that now um, when they were so free and open just six months ago. Positioning of it and the rollout of it is interesting as well. Even just how they're classifying it. I know we're testing it, so we'll see. We'll, we'll see. How it- That's the truth is like, if it hits my targets, then I don't care. I'm, as most people know from my team, I'm agnostic to the channel. It just has to be make sense in terms of traffic cost. Because as an advertising firm, what are we really hired to do? Find new people. And so it's just got to be cheap enough to do so. If it's too expensive and not enough value, especially TikTok audience that tends to skew to lower AOV, already the unit economics are tough to make work at 8% tax on that. So if I'm at a low AOV beverage company, I'm I'm probably not going to be able to play there. So MER, ACOS, contribution margin, what's the metrics that matter for a brand? That's a big question, but the, the simple answer is, I think... It's not as simple as contribution margin, it's cash flow. So what good is incredible contribution margin if you don't have the right cash flow in place because you have incredibly high OPEX that's weighing down the business, right? So I think that's going to be really important for brands not to get too rosy on stacking up to scale with hopes that they can grow. We've got to still be diligent on making sure that we have enough cash flow to invest on large moments. The saddest story, honestly, is brands arriving at Black Friday and stocking out and knowing they missed that money on the table. So their buy wasn't big enough. And I get it. It's so hard to predict that. How do you plan that? How do you know that so far in advance? It's still a mystery for most brands. But the sad note is that if you would have just invested a bit more and been more conservative on cash, you could have bigger moments. Um, that's going to be the story of summer this year. I think summer, that's going to be huge. We did these final two questions last year, and we're going to do them again. 2024, what's the number one advice you'd give brands um, in 2024 under 10 million if they're looking to push that next level of growth? I love this because we just did this with some brands that were under 10 million and crossed that number. So uh, my, my first advice is one is don't be so quick to build your internal team, right? Leverage as much as you can outside partners, but protect your vision for what your brand is going to become, right? So you should have a vision of the headline you want this brand to be. That's only you as a founder or maybe a brand marketer. But I wouldn't be so quick to try to in-house everything, hoping it's going to be more efficient or cheaper. It's just not. You pay and you get what you pay for. And so I think re-leveraging partners to help you think broadly and help you define your market fit at sub 10 million, you're still trying to figure out your footing, to be honest, because you're still living in a space where each month can kind of swing really wildly. You're not mature. And so getting brand help from other different resources is huge. Second is, I think, not being so quick to go wide, right? Still go deep with great products, great releases. I would, I would have you restock and really work on your marketing of restocks more than trying to focus on 16 different new product launches in a year. There's a lot of risk. I would actually take your best opportunities, maybe take bets on two, but go to like go ham on teasing it. Do a pop up of that product. Do an, uh, an in person event. As a small brand, you can test so much and it can still be really successful for you. For a bigger brand, it has to make so much more money to make sense for them. But for you, you know, even a 7% gain could be the difference between being able to invest in that next photo shoot you want or having to make really tough decisions on where you spend your money. Um, the last piece is I would I would really keep your channel simple. As much as I really want you to diversify and try because it's fun as a marketer to try new channels, I think being really simple and then over-index on investing on broad types of creative. So keep the channel simple and the creative mix more diverse than you ever thought possible. Listicles, influencers destroying your product, customer feedback, live CEO calls to customers and all what they like about the product. Like go wide. Uh, um, creative, it's harder than just spinning up a Pinterest account, right? But the idea is that you're going to have a bunch more outsized gains at 10 million than you are then having 16 channels that all compete for the same money. Love that. Love that. Amazing. Let's round out. What are you most excited about for Chris? Personal, business, whatever you want to share. I'm excited for many things. One, I'm excited or for our team. We built a really great team this year. It took us some time. I think we've built some processes that 
really focus on our team developing more. I, part of me, uh, uh, coming into an agency and building an agency, so much goes into client support, but you don't get a lot of time to focus on the, the nuts and bolts of your team support. And this last year was a building year for us, of growing, getting our clients successful. This next year, I think is a team building year, right? Where we get to focus on the best in class training, really giving people exposure to our global network. And so, uh, and also add people to our team. So people listening, shameless plug, we're hiring, we're adding people to our team. I want the best we can find. So that's a, that's a small plug for us on the high performance side to hire. And I'm also really excited for the opportunity to see, um, you know, our country still worked in the U.S. towards uh, democracy. I think it's important. So it's a small little, it's not related to e-commerce, but I think it's really important to me is that democracy is still not a given everywhere. And having the ability to have an election and choose a leader is really important. And it makes our jobs possible in e-commerce and to support a free market. So I think I think that's huge. I don't want to I don't want to neglect that idea because it's something we've done for hundreds of years. But I think it's something that's important to even now more than ever um, celebrate. So whoever wins the election, no matter what side you you sit, the ability to do that is a gift, and I'm really thankful for that. Agrees, Chris. Really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to look back again in a year's time and see how many of our predictions came true. Well, I think that's like five. Five, maybe. Five solid ones this year. So I think we got them pretty pretty nailed on last year, if I'm honest with you. So, um, so uh, or here's my other prediction. Niners win the Super Bowl. That's a hope more than a prediction. That's, so, that's we'll lost on me. Is that baseball? Is that American football? Oh, wow. Oh, you know, I'm going to see your jersey. I think that's what I bet. Your next step. Next podcast. If they win... We're gonna wear you're gonna wear a Niners jersey on this podcast. We're gonna talk about our predictions for next year. How I was right. So um, I'm I'm more than happy to because unfortunately there's absolutely zero chance of my team Manchester United winning the the Premier League. Um, <laughs> I, oh man! It's I, I'm glad I live over here at times to be honest with you because I've got an excuse sometimes to just zone out from from. Why don't you just focus on American football and soccer and like uh, <laughs> I thought you're gonna become a Messi fan. So we'll see. Oh yeah. Oh no. Of course. Where, wherever Messi goes. Although I still think Ronaldo is a better football player than than, than Messi. Um, I'm, I'm in the okay. I'm in the Ronaldo camp. But he is. I'm a diehard Manchester United fan. So that that makes, I mean it tracks. It tracks well. So exactly. Well, next time if they yeah if they win uh, in the future we can do a pint and we can celebrate with some fish and chips since I'm I know down. that's your favorite love language. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. Awesome. Amazing. Um, appreciate it. Appreciate all the thought, the predictions and everything else. Um, let's let's push for a, an amazing year. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Chris. Hey, always a pleasure and so glad to be here. Um, thanks for the time. <laughs>